Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking to Britt Hawthorne. She's a mother, teacher, author, and anti-bias, anti-racist facilitator. Britt partners with caregivers, educators, and families to raise the next generation of anti-racist children. Her forthcoming book, Raising Anti-Racist Children, a practical parenting guide, is for families ready to take action that will bring change right at home. Welcome, Britt. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I am just humbled and also really excited to just laugh along with y'all and to be in community with you. Awesome. Thanks. So let's start with the definition of how you define anti-racism. Yeah, I think that's so important because I can see so many different definitions that are swirling around and my work really kind of just seeks to make the complicated pretty simplistic. So I always like to just think of it as anti-racism is an active resistance to racism And so there's kind of the second part is like, well, how do we define racism? And that's really understanding it's a system of advantage where white people are advantaged in the United States and people of the global majority are disadvantaged. And then like once we have that grounding, then like that's where like to me, the play, the adventure, the curiosity really comes in. You say in your writing that curiosity is not prejudice. Can you explain what that idea means? Absolutely. So sometimes what will happen in my work is that we will hear things that our children will say and we code that as pre-prejudice instead of actually just really as curiosity. So pre-prejudice is something that can develop in young children. We usually use that term with children under 10 years old. And pre-prejudice is anything where a child is showing fear, is showing um, exclusionary behavior, is showing like othering statements. You know, it might sound something like, ew, I'm not going to sit with her. Her food is stinky, right? Like that's an exclusionary Mm -hmm. behavior instead of being like, oh, have you never smelled curry before? That's a new smell for us, isn't it? Where curiosity is, are these like open-ended questions that are really beautiful because it's our children inviting us into their world of how they are processing the world. So that might sound something like, is that the mommy? Can mommies be in wheelchairs? Or they might say something like, you know, why is that man's skin so dark? Those are all curious statements, which what they're saying to us is, gosh, there's something right now in my world that I just noticed that's different. And it's different in relation to me, right? So they're Mm -hmm. constructing themselves like, who am I? And oftentimes we construct ourselves by asking, who am I not? Or by thinking when they, we notice somebody is different. 
And so young children are super curious beings, right? And if anyone has like that child that is in that phase, and if your child is in that phase, I'm just going to give you a big old hug. I'm like, but why? (laughs) But why? But why? And you're like, it just, I've never thought of it, you know, before. And so they are super curious. They're just trying to figure out that world. And whenever our children ask us a question, I always like just to be like, ooh, can you tell me more? Or... I notice you're noticing. What are you noticing? Or, gosh, that's a really beautiful question. I'm so glad you asked me. Can I give you an example of something I know I handled badly in the past? It was not race. My child was hmm, six or seven. We were talking to somebody who had been badly burned in a fire, or so it seemed. I didn't know the backstory. I wasn't asking. We were making small conversation. My kid says, why does your face look like that? And I you know, I want the earth to swallow me whole. I pull my kid by the elbow and I walk my kid 500 feet away and give this kid like, why did you say You never say something like that. And the person noticed, right? Like the person heard what my kid said. My reaction in the moment was to remove my kid and yell at my kid, which probably didn't make this person feel any better. How would you suggest? I realize that's not a question about race, but it is yeah. a question about curiosity that I as a parent was horrified by. What would you recommend might be the best way to handle that uncomfortable situation? Yeah, 100%. And I think about, so y'all recently did an episode about toxic positivity. Yes. And in that episode, oftentimes, like, I can't remember who was sharing that sometimes when we have those toxic responses, it's because we are uncomfortable in that situation. And we don't really know how to sit with someone in discomfort. Right. Right. And so I think about it in that same way that even though that wasn't a necessarily a toxic, positive response in that way, but it was in that how you said you wanted to be swallowed by the earth. And I've had those <laughs> moments too, where it's like you talk through gritted teeth and it's like, we're going to talk about this in the van. <laughs> right. Because you are so uncomfortable and you want the other person to know, Hey, I don't align myself with those values or I don't allow that kind of conversation or othering in my house. Right. Right. Instead, in that moment, definitely respond. And if that question made you uncomfortable, wherever it showed up in your body, just put your hand on that. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes for me, it shows up like in my gut. And so like I can kind of just grab my stomach and that's an indicator for my child. Oh, what you said just made me uncomfortable. So let me own that. And then I'm going to turn and I'm going to ask an open ended question. Oh, you know, did you notice that their skin looks different? I wonder if maybe they're a victim of being burned. And then at that point, because you're saying it out loud, you're now offering the autonomy for the other person to turn and respond if they want or ignore if they want. Mm -hmm. But what we're also saying is that every single person deserves value and dignity and respect and care. And we never want to like kind of distance ourselves or other ourselves from people because they are different. Mm -hmm. And I like I have a very similar story. And if anyone's listening to this and being like, Wow, I wish I could do that. Just don't even, don't even beat (laughs) beat yourself up. I remember when our oldest was maybe five years old, we were at Macy's at the checkout counter and the person in front of us had like a visible limb difference, was missing some fingers. And I noticed it in my mind. I was like, don't say it. Right. You're scanning the horizon and you're like, no, 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 no. (laughs) You know, it's like one of those, like, do you want a Godiva chocolate bar? Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, how do I? And then right on cue, it's like Carter knew my thoughts and was like, why is her hand like that? And I was like, oh, my Mm. God. And I just I wanted 
again, just like die of embarrassment. And in that moment though, I was frozen. So I didn't even have the, like you had the flight response. I just was frozen in time. Mm -hmm. And luckily the person who did overhear, they turned and they were like, oh, do you want to hear the story of my hand and how I was born like this? And then so for me, watching that person really like bring Carter in and have this response really gave me this permission. And I'm sure they didn't even know that, but it gave me this permission to like bring my child in to the conversation. And if I ever don't know, it's always okay to say, that's a great question that I don't know the answer to. Mm. And just let that I don't know take up space. I think sometimes we feel like we have to be like the warrior of knowledge and we don't. We can just say, That's a great question. And that's the thing about our world. It's a mysterious world. And we don't know the answer to everything. And I think for me, there's been a learning in the last, I don't know, couple of decades, let's say. I'm kind of an extrovert. I like talking to people, understanding the labor that's involved for other people and constantly explaining themselves to myself and my child has been a real kind of mind shift for me in terms of it is not a person's job who, for whatever reason, looks different than myself and my family to constantly explain themselves and educate me about what's going on with them, what's going on with their community. Because I think in the before times, I might have said, like, that's a great question. Let's ask. Like, you might be at Macy's and you don't want to talk to a six-year-old about limb differences or race. And it can be challenging to find that balance for us of, I want to, we have to take this work on ourselves in terms of having these conversations and finding it out, but we can't always say like, hey, let's call this person and ask them about their lived experience because some people are not (laughs) up for that work 24 hours a day. Absolutely. Like just, I hope folks can just hit that rewind, that 15 second or 30 second rewind and hear that again. And to always know like that's an immense amount of labor Mm. and to know like anytime I ask somebody a question because I want to learn more, I'm always very thoughtful of, I'm not the only person asking this other person, this question, right? Like they are also fielding this question multiple times a week too. Yes. And so thinking about now the beauty of the internet and social media is that there's so many incredible resources online that you can search and you can Google And sometimes it's also just asking other people. So like if asking someone who doesn't have a limb difference and say like, Hey, are you talking to your child about this? And if so, like, are there any resources you're using that I could use? And there's like this agreement that I live by and it's alone. I know a little, but together we know a lot. And I'm always thinking Mm -hmm. like, who am I together with that can help me? That's not always that person or someone from that community. There's something about your writing that I really want to highlight. We're going to take a break. We're talking to Britt Hawthorne, and we'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? and making diaper changes a breeze. 
for trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Okay, we're back. And one thing that strikes me in this conversation is that there is an emphasis on like fun and curiosity and figuring each other out and community. And I think often when it comes to race as white people, we're like, yikes. Like, first of all, I'm extremely attached to being perceived as a good person. Mm. And so that is sometimes the most important thing about race to me is like making sure that everyone knows that I'm great. Everybody around me. Right. And if they see you parenting in this way, like, watch me get this right. <laughs> I got a badge. Yeah, I got the best. I'm the best. And like, listen, this isn't just race. Like I go to the dentist and I'm like, I'm the person sitting the most still. Right. I've lost the best. Like I like to be liked. What can I say? But I find that like kind of wading into this conversation and opening ourselves up to this conversation often doesn't strike me as fun and community based. It strikes me as like, oh gosh, I'm somehow taking off armor and walking into a place I don't understand and it feels scary. I'm so happy that you're naming all of these like really real things that we go through anytime that we're learning something new. Right. Right. And so I oftentimes think about, so I'm a huge play advocate, not just for young children, but for everyone of all ages. I think play is imperative and we need to like really approach life with a playfulness I think oftentimes we start to think whatever age it's for us, right? For sometimes it's nine, sometimes it was 12, sometimes it was 15. But at some point in our life, we started to approach, I'm now getting older and therefore I must put away these childish ways and I must have a work-life balance. Mm -hmm. But no one really kind of talks about life as like play. And it's this kind of idea of what is work. And so I hear so many things coming up between morality that you're talking about right now but also like this idea of productivity. And all of these are really symptoms or kind of byproducts from both white supremacy, white domination, and also capitalism, in which I think it's everyone's individual responsibility to think about where do I find myself in this conversation? What is it that I truly believe? And how do I want to go forward? 
So for me, I always approach anti-racism with a sense of play because that's how I approach my life is with this playfulness. And while other people may call it work, for me, it's just, I'm going to talk just, I'll talk a little bit more about like transforming work into play and how thinking about both should be intrinsically motivated. Like when we watch our children play, they're intrinsically motivated to play. It's involving their whole self. It's also very culturally responsive. You know, if you have a play kitchen in your household, one child might be making sushi, another child might be frying catfish, another child might be making scrambled eggs with avocado. Like it's very culturally responsive to what the child is experiencing in their world. It also requires a great deal of concentration. Again, you watch young children play, like they're in that sandbox, they are with those magnetiles, they are involved. They're laughing. They're getting frustrated. It's They're so concentrated in whatever their outcome is, which oftentimes they come in with an idea of what they're going to build. And sometimes they're like, no, there's something in me that's saying, I just need to play. There's also independence that happens. And so playing and working both can lead to independence. It can be done independently or it can be done collaboratively. Both require curiosity and persistence. And so thinking about our anti-racist work is like, how do I approach this with curiosity? Why didn't I know this before? How come I'm learning it now? And being persistent to keep, you know, thinking of it as an onion and just peeling back layers. And sometimes there's rules. And that's really what y'all are highlighting are these rules. You know, I must know like these unwritten rules of when do I ask someone for their labor? How do I ask someone for their expertise? Mm-hmm. Sometimes these rules are written and sometimes they're unwritten. Sometimes they're verbal. Sometimes they're nonverbal. And sometimes the rules are changing, which is why I like that you had emphasized over the last couple decades of how we're approaching this. So for me, approaching anti-racism both with this idea of play, this idea of curiosity really has taken me and to where I'm at today and will continue to take me. But I also hope to instill that in my children of like, hey, sometimes we're going to get it right. Sometimes we're going to build a, you know, a six foot tower of blocks. And sometimes we're not. That tower of blocks is going to fall over and it can be frustrated. And sometimes it can be embarrassing. It, you can have anger and sometimes you can have joy and all of that belongs in this work. I have like so much more to say about like productivity and perfectionism. <laughs> That's very light bulb for me, though, the idea of like, it's about going in and peeling an onion, hopefully collaboratively and with other people versus somehow getting prepared so that you go in the right way. Like you're just bringing your actual self and going into work versus going in with the idea of like, I'm going to prove that I'm good at this or somehow I'm ready for this. Yeah, it's a lot of dismantling perfectionism. (laughs) Yes. Right. And that's like going back to what you were saying. And I'm that person when I sit at the and my friend is my dentist. So I like sitting there and I'm like, surely I'm flossing twice a day. Like I want that badge. I want the sticker. Yes. Which she never because she knows me. She's (laughs) never going to give me. (laughs) But it's dismantling this idea that I have to be perfect. And that perfection being perfect somehow then also means I'm good. Yes. So whenever I make mistakes, that means I'm bad. And y'all have another episode And I'm not going to reference it correctly, but you had an expert on talking about food. Amy Severson. Yeah. And I was listening. I've had all these like light bulb moments talking to my partner because I'm like peeling back a lot of layers too when it comes to food 
and morality and goodness. And like, look at what I'm giving my child. And these ideas of like, yeah. And then after that episode, it's funny because I saw an ad of like these prepackaged meals. It was like a meal plan you can buy for your toddlers and they'll be delivered. And so now I'm like laughing at this ad after I listened to that episode because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so much not only about perfectionism, like look at all these beautiful veggies I'm fitting into my child, but it's also consumerism. It's like, let me just buy my way to goodness. Mm -hmm. And I think in anti-racism, a lot of folks also try to approach that consumerism that I'm going to buy my way out of it. I'm going to buy the toys. I'm going to buy the books. I'm going to buy an online course. And somehow that will not only make me anti-racist, but will give us like this bubble wrap protection. And I can say, you know, I've read the book Mm. instead of just approaching that. Yeah. With humility and being like, I don't know what I don't know. So at any time, if you give me the gift of truth, I'm going to receive it as that. Because anytime someone corrects me, anytime someone says, well, actually, that's really rooted in racism, and I want to tell you why, that I can say, oh, my goodness, thank you, because I didn't know it before. And now, not only do I have the ability to change that behavior, I'm going to be a better person because of it. And it's focusing on that growth. But if you focus on that perfectionism, I'm like, I'm going to have to try to get prepared to go in this space to not make a mistake. Not only are you going to make a lot of mistakes, no one's going to feel comfortable telling you that you made mistakes. And now with you're struggling to find your people and find that community, you're really distancing yourself from people, right? Because who wants to be around someone who always has that gold badge and right. says, I'm perfect. You can't tell me anything. No one wants to be around that person. <laughs> We all want to be around people that we can laugh out loud with, that we can cry with, that we can just be our whole self. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we can feel safe messing up with and not getting it perfectly right. Yes. We're talking to Britt Hawthorne. She is an anti-racist facilitator, and we'll be right back. So I have been taking my Nutrafol regularly, and oh my goodness, it works. Friends, I'm here to say, ditto, it works. I mean, most of us will experience hair thinning at some point in our lives, and yes, it's perfectly normal, but if you also see your part getting a little wider, join the over one million people who are doing something about it with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement with over one million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. Nutrafol has multiple formulas that are tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow based on your age, your lifestyle factors, because a one-size-fits-all approach to hair products isn't practical. Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth by targeting key root causes of thinning like stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism. So take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code LAUGHING. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code LAUGHING. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code LAUGHING. Amy, when I'm dehydrated, I get headaches, I get cranky, and I don't feel good in general. Also, I am dehydrated a lot of the time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because being good with the water bottle is one thing, but getting that sodium and potassium with the fluids, turns out that is the key to staying 
optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, 7 essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate. Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H dot com, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. Okay, Britt, so I have a question for you. You talk about honoring your entry point, and I wanted to sort of acknowledge that Margaret and I are both white parents, and we have a pretty different entry point to this work from parents who are of the global majority. Can you talk to us about what those different entry points are and how we can honor one another? Yes. And if that phrase global majority is new for you that Amy just used, let me kind of just share a little bit of why I really appreciate that phrase that came from Barbara J. Love. So people of the global majority is a way to rethink this idea of whiteness and rethink an idea of domination. It's very interesting when I first heard that phrase, people of the global majority, I just remember sitting with it and thinking, well, who is that? And then as I started to do that work and approach it with curiosity, and I started to be able to name folks, right? Not only black and indigenous and people of color, but also being able to name there's Aboriginal folks, there's First Nation folks, there's Native folks. Sometimes we'll consider people of the global majority, folks who exist in Western Asia or Middle Eastern, if they don't experience the fullness of white immunity. Also, we can consider folks of the global majority being Jewish folks, because absolutely, while there can be white presenting Jewish folks, they also don't receive the full immunity of whiteness. And oftentimes they are in experiencing direct anti-Semitism in the world. We also have Jewish folks of color. We also have Arab folks. I mean, the list goes on and on. And we start to think, wow, there really is more brown and black people in the world. So how come for me personally, I arrived into adulthood thinking that there were more white people? Yeah. And that's because there's an overrepresentation both here in the United States and our school curriculum, focusing on European history, European colonization and imperialism, and then white folks who we consider white folks today. But even in the movies we watch, the TV shows we watch, it's such an insular perspective that we receive on mainstream media that it's not a global perspective. So I kind of wanted just to tell folks why I like using that phrase, global majority. Not only I think this is a really beautiful solidarity phrase, but again, it really challenges some of our ideas that we've picked up about whiteness and that percentage. And so going back, Amy, to your question of our entry point, you know, both groups of people have an entry point of awareness, but that entry point of awareness is different. Oftentimes, I think for white folks, their entry point of awareness is really focusing on number one. What is it that I don't know? Why didn't I know that? And then how, as parents and caregivers, can I share that information with my children a lot younger? I also think the entry point for white folks is, for some folks, we call it decentering whiteness, or we can also call it recentering people of the global majority. And so you're really focused on representation. 
you know, thinking about your child's books, toys, TV shows, movies, getting honest about your values and being like, well, if diversity is important to me, how am I going to then make a rule in my household that says we need to have a balance? Like, whoa, look at all of these Disney shows or Nickelodeon shows you're watching and asking your children if they're elementary age, what's the racial identity of those main characters? This is a lot of whiteness happening. I wonder if we can recenter people of a gold majority. Together, you can like make your own list. And we've done this with our children. You can make lists that say, you know, here's some of our favorite TV shows like Doc McStuffin that you can watch and really show them what balancing looks like. For folks of the Golden Majority, oftentimes our entry point is going to be focusing and recentering joy and really focusing on healing ourselves. So we're thinking about like what parts of us have we been minimizing? What parts of us is it that in constant attack. You know, we just had the Crown Act that was passed saying you cannot discriminate against our employers, cannot discriminate against our hair and our hairstyles. And so it's 2022. We just got that act passed. And so thinking about for some folks, it feels very, very brave to show up in the workplace with box braids or to show up with locks or to show up with an Afro because you are so conscious. The world has made you so conscious of our hair and the way that white folks will respond to it. And so sometimes that act is, you know, if you have a vacation, have the hairstyle of your choice and then just start practicing feeling comfortable with that. You know, also getting comfortable having boundaries and being like, that's a great question. And I don't want to have to do that work for you, but you can Google or you can ask or keep asking those questions, but just not to me. Mm. So entry points are definitely different, both as focusing on awareness, but the awareness is oftentimes different. I think for me, and I keep coming back to it, letting go of the idea of like, I'm going to get something wrong, so I probably shouldn't do it, you know, and really just getting involved. And I think the idea of curiosity is really helping me in this conversation in terms of like, there is a humbleness to curiosity that I am not comfortable with myself. You know, I like to be the person who gives information and knows things (laughs) and gets the gold star and that the humbleness in being curious about other people and really... It's such a gift to your children to make them curious about the world, you know, and that that world has to be bigger than maybe the world that I grew up in and the world that I'm familiar with. And like, I love the starting point of curiosity, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. And being able to like, whenever our children are modeling for us curiosity, Mm. right, being able to name that and say like, oh, thank you for reminding me to be curious. Yes. Thank you for teaching me to be curious. So I think that's the other thing too. Sometimes as parents, we set ourselves up because we're older that we must know. And instead of having just this learning exchange that's happening between our children, and like, let me tell you, this generation that's coming up, they are not only very thoughtful and empathetic human beings, right? They're growing up in a time and because they're on social media, they are oftentimes receiving multiple perspectives. And so oftentimes they can come to us and say, did you see what's happening? Look what's happening on the news. Or there was just a Teen Vogue article about a teacher in Massachusetts had asked. It was a part of their curriculum. So the teacher didn't create it. It It's part of their district curriculum. But it was a T-chart and you're supposed to write the positive and negative effects of European imperialism. Yes, I remember. And one of the students called it out and was like, (sighs) did you want me to say that genocide was a positive effect? Or like forced displacement? Or you know what I mean? It was like, I don't. No, that's a very traumatizing 
question and the gaslighting that has to happen for us to say that there are positive effects. But after the, the student had posted that on Twitter, the amount of people that was like, oh my gosh, I did a similar experience, a similar assessment, whether that was about slavery or that was about another kind of oppression, it was like, oh, I have to sit here and critically think. So having that exchange with our children and allowing them to know you can always come to me with your questions, that I am, as you said, Amy, a safe person, right? This is going to be a judgment-free, shame-free zone. And so if you're like trying to figure out, is this a racist incident or why someone is different or asking questions about people's lived experiences, like you can come to me, we're going to figure it out. I may not always have the right answer, but we're not requiring anyone to have all the right answers. All requiring of folks is just showing up and having that persistence to try to figure it out together. Yeah, there's an intentionality around this that I'm really understanding more and more. And it's more than just making sure you have Doc McStuffins on once in a while. It seems to me that no matter what your ages your kids are, that being anti-racist as a family is something you don't have to sort of, it's not like sneaking broccoli into the mac and cheese. You can be very deliberate about this. Like, this is our lived value as a family. This is how we're going to do this. So are you suggesting that you can have these conversations as you begin this work? Let's be curious. Let's do this, that you can do that in a very deliberate way with your kids? Absolutely. I think that you should be explicit with your children. And if you have children under five years old, oftentimes that explicit intentional conversation happens with our parenting partners. Mm -hmm. So my husband and I, we are explicitly talking about what are our values and how is that going to show up in our house? And our children will hear that. They will pick up on that language. They are going to see us modeling, having conversations about being a community member, about loving our neighbors, right? About thinking about justice and activism in a different way. Children six and older, oftentimes you can have that conversation directly with them. And again, whenever something is happening in your household, you want to be able to create this brave space where your children can say, mm, I don't really think that aligns with our family values. And you can say that like that happened right in the height of the COVID pandemic. We, our family was like a lot of folks had donated our masks to our family and we were running to the grocery store. Remember the, like how hectic that was to go to the grocery store and just yep. <laughs> the prep that you needed, the gloves that you needed, the hand sanitizers you had to have, you know, just so much prep. So I was telling Carter, like, we have to hurry up. We have to go to the grocery store. And I think Carter at the time was maybe 13 and he was struggling to find a mask. And I'm like, dude, it's not a fashion show. Grab a mask and let's go. Like we're going to come right back. And so we're in the car and I can just see his body language. He's really upset. And I said, Hey, I'm noticing and I'm feeling like you're upset. Can you tell me more about it? And then he picks up the mask and he shows me and it's a Chicago Blackhawks mask. And we're originally from the Chicago area. So me seeing the mascot of like a character of a Blackhawk, it's so normalized for me. I didn't think anything. Carter's been primarily raised here in Houston. So for him, it hasn't been normalized in that way. And he's like, I don't want to go into the grocery store with this mask. And at that point, I was like, oh, my goodness, I understand where he's coming from. And also how he felt in that moment, I could tell he was a little uncomfortable telling me and he didn't really even know how to tell me, even though we've created this brave space. And I was like, you know what? I hear you. And I hear that you don't want to walk through the grocery store with a racist mask. And I'm sorry that when we got that mask, I didn't throw it away. I should have. And I will go in the grocery store. You can hang out in the car and listen to your Spotify. And like, you know, is there anything else I can do to make it right? And he's like, no, I just think we should get rid of the mask. 
And I was like, absolutely. So it's oftentimes like when you have those explicit conversations with your children as they get older, they then have those values instilled and they will at oftentimes give you the gift of truth to be like, mom, what's up? Like, really? You just for a living hmm. and you got this mask. <laughs> We've been talking to Britt Hawthorne. You have a new book coming out, Raising Anti-Racist Children. Tell us what that book is all about and when we can find it. Yes, I'm so excited. So the book birthday will be June 7th. And I hope everyone celebrates the book birthday with me. And um, I have a co-writer, Natasha Iglesias, who helped me to write and craft this book. Because I do not consider myself a writer. I have never written anything longer than I would say maybe eight pages in my life. And but I didn't want that fear to get in the way of like, I'm not good enough. Or I remember telling my partner, you know, maybe I'm going to go back to college and get a degree in writing. He's like, what? No. Just wait four years. I'll be right back. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be back. Everyone just pause. And he's like, no, like you can do that. You know the content and work with others. So yeah, it's been a little bit over a year in the making. And the book is, when we say it's a practical guide, it's full of activities, scripts, self-reflection questions that we can ask ourselves, that we can start asking our parenting partners. And then there's 15 different contributing authors in the book that I'm really excited about. All mostly folks of the global majority, but them sharing a practice and how, what anti-racism looks like for them and their family. So it's for if you're a seasoned caregiver, if you're just beginning, there's something for everyone in that book. We'll put a pre-order link in the show notes so everybody can have that book in their carts ready to go when it comes out. Britt, thanks so much for talking to us today. Thank you. This was great. Thank you. It's been my honor. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk, and let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking It. 
When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.